Welcome to Nobody's Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and today I am thrilled. Um, I have my co-host here with us, Amy Staley, and of course, um, our esteemed guest today, we're welcoming Dr. Stephanie Crawford Getz. Stephanie is a clinical psychologist who is also a director of mental health services for a Colorado school system. And as we were looking at guests to really key, tee up the Nobody's Perfect podcast, Stephanie was at the top of our list in really helping parents navigate you know, the school system. And if your kid is struggling or having challenges, how do you figure out where to go next and how to rely on your school for support? And I'm hopeful that we're going to have a fruitful conversation here today, really around just that and how we um, begin to shape these conversations and recognizing that we are not alone and that there is support available. Stephanie, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Yes, thank you, Stephanie. Welcome, Jason and Amy for having me. Absolutely. Well, Stephanie, we're so thrilled that you were willing to do this. I know you and I have spent um, a lot of time professionally connecting, um, both working within the school systems, but also outside of that with overlap um, as it relates to uh, mental health and services in the community and um, trauma-informed care and vicarious trauma. I feel like we've, I've been lucky to cross paths with you in, in several capacities. And I just really want to acknowledge um, some of the reasons I was so excited you're willing to join us for this conversation is all of the um, unique lenses that you bring, not only from your experiences here in Colorado, but also your experiences in Texas and um, how you really value the importance of collaboration with families and the importance of recognizing how things have changed today um, for youth in the world. So I really appreciate that you're here. Um, I feel like I would be um, missing things if I went ahead and tried to introduce you. So we would love it if you would take some time and tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, your professional experiences and um, who you are in general. So thank you, Stephanie, for being here. Well, you're welcome. And absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so my background is, as Jason said, I am a clinical psychologist. I've also always been a school psychologist and worked in the schools. And I've had a really nice career in which I've had the opportunity to see kids thriving in schools, but I've also worked in my own practice, in my private practice, as well as teaching at a variety of universities. Um, everything from Psychology 101 to graduate courses for how to do counseling with students and evaluate students, as well as just overall how we can best work with parents and the community. So. That's a little bit about my background and where I come from. And it's been nice to take um, my experiences from all these different systems to figure out best how we support youth and their families um, as they navigate with both education and their mental health. I love that. And, you know, really feel like you have your finger on the pulse, especially from the school side and as a parent, really bringing this kind of, you know, the inspiration for this was to have relational conversations that would hopefully spark other conversations among youth and their families. And I know as we were preparing for this call, you had mentioned kind of what you hope to get out of this and really solidify, you know, for any parent listening, how important and valuable and necessary parent involvement is when we start talking about these conversations that are affecting our kids. Absolutely. Um, parents are the number one experts of their children, and they are such a valuable partner in education. And we know that when parents are very engaged, 
and feel empowered to be able to participate actively with schools, that their kids do better. They achieve better academically, they do better socially, and they have better emotional health as well. I think that's so important to recognize because I think a lot of parents feel like I send my kid off into the world every day and then there are these people that I may not have the same connection that they do with that are helping raise our kids and really in recognizing the value and the importance of it of what happens at home is really only built upon at school and vice versa. If if a parent's listening just kind of to, to level set what we're talking about here and they're feeling maybe disconnected from what's happening in those eight hours that their kids away from home. How, how can we start to create some symbiosis between these systems and support one another, whether I'm a parent or whether I'm an educator, in ensuring that my kid's on the right path to becoming a healthy adult? I'm glad you asked that, you know, because schools can be somewhat mysterious. Um, you know, we have our memories of when we were in school and what happened, and then you kind of move on into adulthood and you're, you forget a little bit about what might be happening and how that's going. And it can be a little intimidating too, to not know the rules and know all of the people that might be engaging with your child. And so I think the best thing that parents can do is know the schools are very open to the parent communicating with them, coming and volunteering and making sure that whenever they have a concern, that they bring that to the schools. Um, as you said, I'm both a professional and a parent of an elementary child. And I will tell you um, the most important thing that my husband and I do at the beginning of every school year is go to meet the teacher night and really take that opportunity to let the teacher know who we are, who our son is. Um, my student, uh, my son is a student with. ADHD, and he has been on an individualized education plan. So, you know, he's not your average student. So we really take that opportunity to introduce who he is, what his strengths are, what his needs are going to be. But the one important thing we let that teacher know is let's have open communication. And as soon as there might be an issue, let us know so that we can be your partner mm -hmm. and we can be proactive about it. And if we do that, you're going to find that we're your biggest supports and advocates, teacher. And the teachers always appreciate that openness. And we find then that extends to them communicating with us via emails or another communication system in the school. And we can be proactive. Love that. And I, I, I really appreciate that because I think um, not only are you bringing in kind of your recommendations and thoughts from your professional side, but also sharing what has worked well for you as a parent. And, you know, one of the things that comes up for me as somebody who has worked in the school system um, is some parents also have concerns of if I share this, what's going to happen or potentially some ideas that um, the school might be able to provide um, more and they're expecting more. So can you talk us through a little bit when a parent shares pieces of information about their kid. Every school is different, right? Like I know you can't speak to every situation, every school, but can you talk to us broadly from your experience, um, what somebody might expect or um, what it might look like and how a school might respond um, if, if a parent is bringing up something to the school? Absolutely. The more that a school knows or as a school professional, the more that we know 
the better we can support a parent's child. So better we can support your child. And the less we know, then it's harder. And we're just going to get to know the child solely on what they present in the classroom. And so when a parent will share, hey, my child has this diagnosis, my child takes medication, my child is going to be so great at helping you, and they're very social, but they might bounce around in their seat a lot, or they might have trouble if you give them a bunch of directions at one time. The more that a teacher and educators know, then the better they can support children and make sure that they're learning and they can really look at each child and meet each child where they're at. And I know there's sometimes fear and stigma. Well, I don't want schools to know my personal business. Mm -hmm. And what if they treat my child differently because of that? Um, and I think that's a stigma and a myth that we need to dispel because when you get into education, it's because you really enjoy teaching and you really enjoy being with kids and you have a really big heart that you want to share with others. And so you're going to find the teacher's going to appreciate that. And then you've let them know that they can feel comfortable sharing and being vulnerable with you too on if they are having a concern. And so I think that's really important for parents to know is we do better when we know more. We don't have to know all the details of what goes on in your personal lives, but key things that will help us work with your child are just really beneficial. So it really sounds like a pro-advocacy approach for kids in really giving, equipping teachers with the information to know about your specific child. And you mentioned those words a minute ago, fear and stigma, which nobody wants to make themselves vulnerable necessarily. But the thing I'm going to go back to, you said prior to this question and talking about how different the world is today versus when we went to school, like, I think there's a big part of that shift in recognizing that the world is different today. How do we help bring parents into the differentness of the world compared to when we went to school that really shapes the importance and value in having these vulnerable conversations that are going to support our kids. Yeah, now we know so much more about um, children's development and their needs. And schools have come a long way in taking in all kids and being able to support them no matter what they bring. So whether they are having academic struggles, behavioral and emotional struggles, um, maybe there are things going on in their communities that's impacting school. And so schools are really this very welcoming place that are almost the second um, home and family away from home. That's how classrooms are expected to be set up and for um, the teacher and the, and the students to behave is knowing that we want kids to come into school and feel safe and feel comfortable and know that their teacher is going to teach them academics, but they're also going to check in on how they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they're going to celebrate when they're doing well in all areas. And so you'll see now as parents, when you go and meet the teacher, when you can go and volunteer, if you can go to right now, Halloween's coming up. So there's going to be opportunities to go to Halloween parties in the classroom. There's a lot of watchdog dads, grandparents, mothers programs where you get to go and be in the school with your mm -hmm. child and observing their entire day from greeting parents and kids, going to their classes, eating lunch with them, and then ending the day. So there's all these opportunities now 
that parents can go into schools and see what's happening and be a support. And what I hope parents will see is that these are classrooms in which their child has all of their needs met. And it's no longer just you're here to learn how to read, do math, science, and writing. But we're really here to support your child as um, a whole individual with all of their needs in collaboration with parents. You know, Stephanie, that's bringing up a couple of things for me that I just want to comment on. One, um, I, I just feel like when I, before I worked in schools, I collaborated a ton with schools. You and I worked several um, for several years prior to that work. And until I was in the building, I did not comprehend the amount of time that schools are with our children. And I tell everyone, like, while I, I loved the work I did, and I, I hope that I did some good work while I was in schools, what I really learned and took away was how to be a better parent and how to collaborate better with schools, because there is so much love and attention that that schools do bring and wrap our kids with. And, um, you know, even thinking to the piece before where you were talking about that communication, I'm thinking of times when I worked with kiddos that um, ended up maybe having a discipline issue or were struggling with listening and some of those pieces. And later when we met with family, we learned, you know, somebody had just passed away or parents are maybe going through a divorce or other pieces that understandably there might've been reasons that the family kept that private or hadn't thought about communicating those pieces. And um, once we have that information, our ability to respond and redirect the kid in a different way to really meet their needs was was very different. And I I love how you're bringing in this watch the watchdog program or other programs where parents can come into the classroom and observe because I, I do think that's that is an opportunity. I know for myself as a parent, I've gone in and been a reader in my daughter's class. I um, go and volunteer kind of with various holiday parties, other things like that. And you do get a different feel. Um, you know, I know my, I can go eat lunch with my daughter any day I would like to, I can offer to go and meet her at school. And some of those moments of seeing how our kids are when they're not with us and when they're in their environment, um, is really, it's beautiful because they're little people and they're, they're, we're able to see how they are in their own environment and how the school environment is fostering that for them. Uh, and I really, really appreciate, um, kind of how you're, how you're bringing that in here, because I do think that at times it feels like even though there's a lot of effort to coordinate and communicate those pieces, parents try to not step on toes or I don't want to add too much to your plate. And so at times, even sometimes out of a courtesy or respect might not be engaging as much. Um, and what I hear you saying is, is schools welcome that. And uh, they, they like when parents are engaged in that opportunity. And it's also helpful for the parents to maybe feel more comfortable and confident in their, their youth um, experience in the day to day. Yeah, absolutely, Amy. I think, um, well, there's a balance, you know, like teachers and other staff are working incredibly hard and they work extra hours after the school hours end. Um, It's important to be known to the teacher and the teachers see you as a family and know a little bit about you um, because that makes that opportunity to talk to one another much easier. And teachers appreciate acknowledgement. I will say as an educator and especially in my current role, you usually only hear the bad. You, you get contacted when you're, somebody's mad about what you're doing or what the school is doing or there's some issue. And you rarely get contacted to say, wow, I'm really enjoying what you're teaching my child. Or thank you for um, sending home a note about how my 
um, child did a really good job today and helped another student when they were hurt or whatever. Those things you don't hear a lot about. So anytime as a parent, you can reach out human to human and say, I see you and I appreciate what you're doing. It goes a long way for when you do need to have those difficult conversations. Like such a beautiful opportunity yeah. to build rapport and yeah. you know, just to get to know each other. And then that builds this unique bond that better serves your kid. Ultimately, I, I guess the thing that I would love to normalize in this conversation, and I'm not looking for a statistic necessarily, but you know, how, how often do we see kids having unique challenges that might require an IEP or might require some sort of other, you know, program or treatment? Like, I'm guessing it's, it's a lot more than many people listening may think. Sure. And what I think what we forget is we only think of either an average student and they're doing well academically, or we're thinking of very intense kids who have severe needs. There's a whole spectrum of needs in children. And so um, as parents, our kids will develop at different rates, even though everyone's doing fine and there aren't concerns. And so there are kids who will read later than other kids. And it doesn't mean that they have a disability or they need any specialized instruction, but it does mean that they might need a little extra attention and maybe some, you know, brief additional interventions like a special reading group or a summer reading program or extra support at home with additional reading. So you have those kinds of opportunities in which children might struggle and it's developmentally appropriate. And that is a time to be engaging with teachers and other staff to figure that out. And then yes, you do have students who may have disabilities um, and that is around you know, 12 to 15% of our kids that really struggle and need something special, but you have all the kids that don't need that, that will be learning and developing at different rates. As and well. I think that's what's so important and valuable about this conversation is the recognition of it's okay to need help, you know, and, and, and more importantly, that help is actually available and, and parents who don't fully understand the resources and the opportunities that the school system can provide you to help your kid, whether it's de developmentally for a time or because of a disability longer term, there are solutions to your point, which is very different about how schools meet students today versus maybe how they did in the past. And I, I think that's important for people listening to understand, like school systems have a tremendous amount of resources available to them. And a lot of it is reliant on the information you're giving them in addition to what they're witnessing in the classroom. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, I, I know, and speaking to what you've said, Amy, sometimes parents are a little hesitant to want to reach out with a concern. They don't want to come across as demanding or rude, or maybe that they're critiquing. And I would encourage parents to just put that away. You're the biggest advocate for your child and you know them so well. So if you have any inkling that you're worried about something, the schools have an open door policy ask to talk with the teacher, ask to talk with their counselor and figure out what might be happening. Because often you can talk and a parent can have some of their concerns normalized for them, but then the school can hear, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. You know, we engage with so many kids. And so now that you've brought that to our attention, we're going to be looking out for that. And we're gonna come up with some strategies with you 
so that we can do some things here at school that you can then complement at home and we can be proactive so that this doesn't become a bigger problem than it needs to be because we address something right as we saw a concern about it. And I don't think parents should worry about that. That's that's welcome and that's not bothersome. Well, and I think that is in alignment with some conversations we've had on other episodes of how at times also parents might not know what to say or how to say or how to respond to their kid or when is this a concern or when is it not a concern? And what I really hear you saying is let's have that open door policy and it's okay for you to not know. We're not expecting you to come to the school and have an answer. We're expecting to maybe how can we coordinate and collaborate and come up with what's going on for your child or what can we do to support your student to feel more successful or their best selves here at school. Um, and I think that's that's a really important message because I think there are some pieces here that we've seen as themes that it, it does feel hard when we don't know what to do or where to go. And what I hear you saying is a school can be a starting point for sure. You know, something that's coming up for me as we're having these conversations is thinking of middle school and high school and when there's a lot of different teachers involved and there's a lot of different touch points with um, for our youth and who to go to in the school or as a parent, how do you navigate that? Because I, I loved what you shared and kind of how you and your husband approached that um, with back to school night in an elementary school setting. But do you have any thoughts or feedback for folks as we think of um, students that are in middle school and high school and, and parent communication? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there are also opportunities for every time a student transitions to be able to tour that school in advance. So there's opportunities for the child to go tour, for the parents, or for them to do that together. And I would recommend taking advantage of those opportunities because that's when you can ask all your burning questions. And as parents where your child's about to go into middle school or high school, that can be a little scary of, wow, what's going to happen in this bigger environment with all these extra people? And so that's when you can ask all the questions you have. And I recommend parents just write them down and get prepared for that. And kids as well about what are they worried about so that that can happen during that time because that's what the school staff are prepared to answer and show off their school and all the things they're going to do to make sure that it's a good transition. But then I would also recommend, again, not being afraid to take up some time of staff and say, I really like to have um, a meeting prior to the start of school with my child's team. So in middle and high school, there's often a pod that students are assigned to. So it's it's the teachers that you know, I, I can get them all together. They work together with the same students, my child being one of those. And you can ask for a meeting and you can go over some specifics about what your child might need, how to best teach them, things that will really help form relationships with them, things that might not be so good to do that could really damage relationships and have those conversations and have those proactive meetings with the school staff. Um, that's our right as parents and we need to do more of that. Um, and teachers like that because when they don't know, then they figure it out on their own and they do the best they can with the limited information that they have. So that brings up an important point. Like we've talked a lot about what the schools can do. Like, let's get into a little bit, what are the limitations that schools have that parents might have an expectation that a school's going to meet and just really is not, not how schools are designed to work? Sure. 
Well, schools have a lot of latitude actually to get creative. Okay. Um, but sure, I mean, we do have truancy law that we have to follow. So, you know, if I, if a parent had wanted a really interesting schedule or a shortened school year, that would be something that would have to be navigated because there's very specific special reasons, special programming that you wouldn't be able to just do for any student. So we have expectations of we need to have our students in school so many days and hours for the school year in order to provide them a good education. Um, there's also some, you know, limitations as far as schedules and what classes kids are in and, and being able to select the classes and teachers you want. Right. You know, schools are big. They're trying to accommodate a lot of students and the um, staff that are putting together each individual student's schedule put a lot of thought and time in how to do that best to meet everybody's needs. So there may be some things where parents might be frustrated because they wanted something at a certain time of day and it couldn't happen, or they didn't want this class, they wanted this class, or they heard this teacher you know, was the best and they didn't get that teacher, that those might be some limitations that a parent needs to be realistic about. Um, but I will say there's a lot of flexibility there's, there's also like obviously curriculum expectations. You know, if a parent wanted some kind of change in that, we have to make sure that students are learning the academic standards for each of their grade levels before they move on to the next grade level. So we have some key things of being in school, you know, just the logistics of big schools and lots of kids as well as making sure that they're learning what they need to be learning for their grade and age. Those are the big three that, you know, aren't very negotiable. Right. And thank you for clarifying that. Cause I think that's, yeah, really you're welcome. Stephanie, could I add to that something from my perspective that oh. I think of with, as it relates to mental health and then maybe you can talk about that. Cause I appreciate where you're going as far as academics and engagement within the school. Um, I do, I do also think one thing that I know was a learning curve for me when I transitioned into schools is a lot of the mental health support is going to be responsive to that student's need in the moment. Um, but as far as ongoing services, so people can engage and build an ongoing relationship with a school counselor or school social worker or school psychologist, depending on what that looks like. But typically the focus of that is how to best support you and your emotional well-being to be successful in school. So if there are therapeutic needs outside of schools, typically schools have relationships with mental health um, organizations or community mental health organizations where they make referrals or they partner with those pieces. Um, obviously, they're going to be responsive to immediate safety needs for as it relates to mental health. But it, am I summarizing that somewhat accurately or would you add anything else in regards to um, if there are limitations from your perspective as a school psychologist from a mental health lens. Yeah, I think, Amy, that you captured that beautifully. As far as mental health providers in schools, our job is to help students be able to access their education and be available for learning and succeed at school. And so if a parent were to come with a concern um, in which, you know, maybe we're going through a divorce or we had a loss in the family, we can absolutely make referrals. There are a lot of really wonderful community mental health providers and agencies to be able to help connect families to resources. You're absolutely right. Or if a student were um, struggling with some concern and it, it's not impacting them at school and there's not really a curriculum that addresses that at school, again, we would wanna connect the student and their family to those community resources. 
So we are not clinical providers in a school. We're, we're not doing um, clinical therapy work in schools. Our role as mental health providers in schools is really about making sure students can be successful educationally. Well, and you bring up a really important point. And I think the you know, the then versus now part of this conversation is, is really the inspiration point for Nobody's Perfect to begin with in recognizing that these needs have continued to progress and escalate. Tell us from your professional lens as kind of being a, an, an academic uh, professional over the course of your career, have things changed drastically over the years that you've been doing this as far as students' needs for mental health support or services? I think they have. I've seen a real change in the prevention work that schools are doing to make sure that all students are taught essential skills for well-being um, in the school setting and can complement what parents are teaching them about maintaining good health and wellness and mental well-being. And so that's been a change. Um, I can just remember like thinking when I was in school and many of us parents, you didn't even know that mental health providers worked in your school. Mm -hmm. Those were not people that were visible or that anyone knew about unless there was someone with some very special education type needs that maybe knew about that. And now when you look around you, there's a lot of awareness about what school counselors do that there's school psychologists and school social workers, and that all of these individuals are available to support your child as they navigate school and if they have any kind of mental health concerns. So it's really exciting to see the visibility of mental health in schools and the, and the knowledge again that school should be about the whole child and not just about academics or just about physical health but it's actually taking all of the components of being a well-rounded person and making sure schools are doing their part and helping students achieve that. Well, so that's really exciting. Well, you make a really interesting point though, a minute ago when you said that schools are not necessarily there to provide clinical services to support your youth. So if I'm a parent and I've got a kid that I know is struggling and we've engaged the school that you know my, my child sees a school counselor or social worker, and they're engaged in that in the school as, as a parent, I'm letting you know what's going on. What, what is the, the point that as a parent, I might recognize that perhaps I need to find some other support for my child that extends beyond what the school can offer? Yes, I think when we're looking at, you know, how do we work together in schools and in community, looking at where is the child struggling? If they're only struggling in school, then the school is your partner in helping your child to be more successful and figure out what is the barrier to them doing well. But if your child is struggling with their friends outside of school, um, if they're struggling with their extracurricular activities, or maybe they used to be involved outside of school and in sports and groups and friendships, and then you're seeing that change, that's when you know this is impacting all of my child's functioning, not just one part of it, not just at school or not just at home, but all of it. And so I need to make sure as a parent that I'm engaging all my resources. I've got the school partnered with me, but I've also got re really good referral sources that I might need a therapist and I might need some um, group 
counseling opportunities or other group activities to get my child engaged and doing well again, as well as partnering with my pediatrician yeah. and making sure I have all parts of my child covered and all of my partnerships coming together to wrap around my kid. Well, and what you just described to us to me really does sound like whole health. You know, yeah. it's looking at the whole child and recognizing. And I think you said that so beautifully, you know, is the problem just happening at school or is it a broader problem that's happening throughout the course of their lives in other areas? And I think that that's usually a pretty easy place of discernment that really just from that self-awareness of, is this a school problem or is this a, a, a whole health problem here that we need to address? You know, I think it helps a parent be more empowered around what do I need to do next? Well, and with that being said, I, I do feel like one of the things we've been discussing um, is parents and students are often struggling with how to talk about these things, right? Parents might be coming from the, well, yeah, back in my day, I didn't know X, Y, and Z. And so might either have that perspective of, okay, you're saying this was a really hard day to me. This didn't seem that bad, kind of let's move on. Or they might also be like, okay, I want to respond in the right way. What should I say? And almost freeze because they don't know what to say, or they have a fear of saying the wrong thing. Um, and those are just two examples. Obviously there's a million other things that can interfere, impact the way that youth and parents are having these conversations. But if you could share with, do you have any ideas of what would a conversation starter look like? Or do you have recommendations of how you would encourage parents and or youth that might be listening to talk to their family members about what's going on for them or for the parents to initiate and, and have an open conversation um, with their child or with their um, youth about this? Yeah, I think as parents, um, this is still tried and true. You know, when your kid comes home from school and you ask about their day, they're like, "It's a, it was fine or we didn't do anything. So remembering to catch your, your child in moments that will elicit more conversations. So at dinner, in the car, while you're doing something else that naturally allows you to just have those organic, natural conversations that don't feel um, so put on the spot. Because I think that's why kids freeze. They're like, oh gosh, what, what do you really want from me? And then really paying attention to when your kids do tell you something to go, oh, wow, I want to learn more about that. Or I think we could maybe um, talk with the school to get support around that. Um, and, and normalizing that for your child too and empowering them to do that. You know, I will say, um, you know, just not being afraid to have those conversations. Like, I'm really proud of my son. He is a very active guy. And he came to talk to me one time and I really listened and he said, I'm having trouble sitting still in class and I don't want the teacher to be mad at me, which was big for me, like this is big growth. But I've been noticing like other kids have these special seats and I think that could really help me. And I also remember like when I was in kindergarten that we used to get like breaks and that really helped me. And so I said, that's phenomenal that you're sharing this with me. I'm really proud of you for recognizing that. And um, would you like me to talk to your teacher about that? Because he's little. And so I thought I can engage that conversation and share some of your ideas and hear what other ideas they might have to help you be able to focus better when you're at school because you're trying so hard and you love being at school. And so he said, yes. But I think if he were older, I could have empowered him to say, do you want me to practice having a conversation with your teacher so that you can ask for that? Or would you like 
you and I to go together and call a meeting and go over my, what might work best so that they really know who you are and how to help them. So that's, that is one example that I will tell you. Um, the other one, and I have so many to share being a parent myself, you know, I had one year um, a teacher want to have a behavior chart for my child. I personally don't like them. <laughs> I feel that they're transactional in nature and that re what really helps kids is connections and relationships. And so I was a little like taken aback by the request and not sure that my child really had any significant behavior issues. So as a parent, I had to calm myself and say, okay, at the end of the day, they're not, they're not actually like critiquing my son or me as a parent, although you feel a little bit of that judgment right. when you hear a concern about your child. They want to do something good for my child, but that's not what I want. And be empowered that what your values are and what you know will work best for your kids, that you feel that you can go and tell this school that. So I said, you know, I, I like your idea of wanting to help my child. Can we have a team meeting with you and maybe this person that is recommending this behavior plan? I'd like to hear more and I'd like to share my ideas too. And so we did have a meeting in which I had an opportunity to very neutrally um, share our values of that. I think that my child is more relational and that he won't respond to this behavior plan. He'll, he'll be very smart and game the system or he won't do well and then he'll give up. And so can we change this instead to a sheet that empowers my child where he can self-monitor these criteria you want him to meet and he can mark whether he's doing well or not. And then he has an opportunity to connect with you as a teacher and you can share your perspective on how he did. And what you're really doing is forming a bond with him over how well he's going to improve. And then that relationship will change his behavior, not the points or some toy you're going to give him because of that. And so that they were very receptive because I was able to stay calm, present what I hope to see and why that would work. And I was really worried that I was going to come across as rude or entitled or demanding. And that now they're not going to like me and my kid. And that didn't happen at all. I think they're really appreciative and knowing like, okay, we had an idea, but we have more now. And we want to just make sure that we're helping this child. Well, and and that those are beautiful examples. Thank you for sharing them. You're welcome. The, the thing that it inspires in me, though, is this humans having a human experience piece. And I think for anybody that's listening that, again, the podcast is called Nobody's Perfect. And, and what I have observed from our research and data and studies of doing this and forming this is perfectionism is a thread that runs through all of us. And we want to show up and do it perfectly and be seen, valued, and heard in a moment, the right and perfect way. I Again, I'm not a parent, but I think if I was, the thing that I would hope there is some grace around, and maybe you guys can speak to this, is having a conversation with your kid, even if you don't do it perfectly or the right way, or you screw it up and have to go back and clean it up, Sometimes just showing up for the conversation is the most important act of bravery in, in, in having an engage with another person, whether it's your kid or an adult or whoever. And, and I think that there is, there is something about us, again, normalizing the fact that these are hard conversations. Like nobody wants to show up and talk about behavioral plans, you know, and we have all those things running through our mind. But when you really pulled back and you said, okay, I'm going to show up with my experience and my understanding of my child and have this conversation in an open and honest way, I think that that model 
is, is a successful model to apply to most conversations. And if you do it wrong to say, Hey, I didn't, that didn't come out the way that I wanted to, like, let me reflect on this and I'm going to come back to you. Like, I think we always have uh, an opportunity likely to clean up something that we've done that maybe wasn't our best moment. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, in schools, something that you'll see a lot is um, restorative practices. So really teaching kids that we're all going to make mistakes and some are small and some are big, but we have an opportunity to own them. And then whether it's one person or a group to be able to have a really authentic, raw conversation about I messed up. I'm sorry, I want to move on positively with you. What will that take? I want to restore with you. And we restore back into our community, whether that's our family or with our friend group or at school with our classroom. And that's something we model at home. I mean, I think, as you said, we all strive for perfection and that's all you see publicly from people of what we're willing to show. But I mess up every single day as a parent. We all do. We all yeah. do. And I don't respond right, or I say something that came across critical, or I yell, and and my child knows though, and he's known from really early age. I'm willing to come back and say, "Man, I was having a bad moment there. I apologize for that. I'd like to restore with you. What can I do right now to help you restore with me? Do you need space? Do you need a hug? Do you want to talk about it?" And really empower that other person to let me know what they need, and in this case, my child, and give it to them. And we know, like in our family we restore. If we mess up, we own it and we restore. And right. I think, as you said, you can do that in any relationship you have, whether that's personal or at work or at school. Well, and I think well, it goes back to the tenets of seeing, valuing, and hearing the people that are important to you. Like that's, that's really what it comes down to. And thinking of, as we're all talking about that, nobody is perfect. You know, if, if you had to talk tell us what you think of um, or what nobody's perfect means to you. What would that be, Stephanie? That's a really great question. No pressure. So, yeah, I know, sorry. no pressure. I'll just take a sip of my cherry Coke here. Sorry there for that. <laughs> well, I, I think what it comes down to is nobody or and nothing is perfect. You know, if you think about it, we strive for that and we want to do well, um, but we're human and we're flawed. And the things that we make will be a little flawed. And I love in some like Native American traditions that they actually value that not, not everything is perfect and like jewelry they make or clothing or something, they know there's going to be a flaw and that that's okay. And that makes it real because perfection is not real. And so I think for that, nobody being perfect, you know, I have a, I have a routine I do every day. When I wake up, I just take about two minutes to really reflect like, okay, I'm alive. Today is going to be beautiful. And I'm so thankful for my friends and family and, and the opportunities I'm going to have today. And that's how I like to start my day. And then I always just say, and world, please give me the strength to navigate whatever that's going to be, because I know that it's not always going to be easy. And so I think that of giving ourselves grace that if we show up every day, giving our best and being true to ourselves and others, regardless of what mistakes we make, that's what that's what it's about, is just showing up and, and doing well and doing our best and whatever that is in any given moment. And that's all that's needed. 
And if one day it's just simply smiling at people and getting through your day, bravo to you. And if another day you're very productive in whatever your tasks were, congratulations. But just getting up and showing up is, it's amazing. I'm in awe every day of looking around at all the people and all the things that we need to accomplish, you know, knowing that there's so many stressors and weights on everyone and we're doing it. We're doing it every single day. And that's really exciting and inspiring to me. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And I think in conversation with. <laughs> yes, yeah, very yeah, helpful. helpful. Well, and, and thinking of how you were discussing the communication with schools and where teachers are at, I think naming and reminding folks that teachers are human too. And, and teachers are going to have off days or bad days, or you might, you know, approach a teacher to talk about something and they're on their way out the door and you felt like they were short, remembering that we're all people, we're all humans living life outside of those pieces. And I I do think that there's sometimes a lot of pressure on schools to always be kind of that on point person for your child and, and remembering that modeling being human and modeling having a bad day or naming that um, and circling back and saying, Hey, we had a conversation the other day. It didn't feel great to me. Where, you know, can we loop back to that? And you might get a completely different comment or conversation from a teacher. Um, And so I think also that as you were discussing those pieces, I really feel like it is hopeful and it's important for us to remember that. And as we're wrapping up kind of talking about conversations and communications with schools, remembering that everyone that works in the school is a human too and has their own life um, that they're navigating and experiencing. Um, And so one interaction that might not feel great doesn't necessarily fully respect or reflect who that person is um, overall. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to give grace to each other and especially our, our teachers. I don't often get to go pick up my son, but occasionally I do. And I remember one day where they were late being let out of their classroom and the teachers were griping as the teacher let them out loud enough for her to hear what's going on and why did they why did she hold my kid but not actually acknowledging her and having that directly and you could see how sad she was she'd spent her whole day caring for and teaching these children and whatever was going on had delayed them and so i think giving grace and modeling that and so i, I went and said hey thank you for today teacher i really appreciate you and just that that changed for her. And I thought, I want her to know not all the parents feel that way about every little thing, because that's pretty minor given whatever you've accomplished today that you were delayed today. And then modeling that for parents, like let's have a little grace. Um, I can't imagine being all day with kids. That is one of the hardest jobs um, for any of our our people that work with children in staying at home. Parents can't either. So like, yeah. Let's celebrate these people who are raising our humans, you know? Yes. Um, I have so loved this conversation. Um, thank you. Thank you um, with gratitude for having this with us. I think you've given us, you know, a wealth of insight around really what are, are impacting our youth and how the school systems are showing up to meet those today. Um, so again, I just, my sincere gratitude for you and your presence and being here today. Well, you're, you're welcome. And I hope your listeners will take away, take all the opportunities to engage with schools and teachers and staff, take advantage of all the opportunities to educate yourself on how better to do that and learn about schools. And don't be afraid to connect 
because at the end of everything, we're humans and that's what we need in order to do well. I love it. And to our listeners, listeners, thanks for being part of Nobody's Perfect, a community dedicated to supporting, inspiring, and empowering youth and families. We hope you've enjoyed this transformative conversation today. Together, we're dismantling stigma and providing solutions for the mental health and well-being challenges we all encounter. Be sure to join us every other week on Cozy101.com slash imperfect to continue embracing our shared human experience. I'm your host, Jason Hopkins, and it's been a pleasure having you here. Stay connected, stay inspired, and remember, nobody's perfect because perfection isn't real. Your story is. Until next time.